Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you, the people of God, this morning and to open God's word together. My name is Brandon Stern. I'm one of the pastors here and a member of our preaching team. Well, a few weeks ago, during the Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the Bills players, DeMar Hamlin, passed out on the field and had to be revived multiple times with oxygen, with CPR, and even an AED machine. And it was a very scary situation for all involved. The game, of course, came to a stop, and they ended up eventually canceling the game altogether. But what stood out to me that night was how prayer was such a natural and even instinctive response from so many that Monday night. The announcers encouraged people to pray for DeMar. Coaches and teammates gathered together to pray. Social media immediately lit up with tweets and posts, all calling for prayer for DeMar. Listen to what one news article said about this. Peter Heck writes, Monday night revealed once again that there is a common frailty, a mortal vulnerability in humanity that instinctively cries out to his maker in times of desperation. The need is always there, but it evinces itself in irrepressible ways when our own arrogance is no longer capable of maintaining the lie that we control our own fates and destinies. For many of us, when life feels like it's spinning out of control, we feel the need to cry out to something or someone bigger than ourselves. However, prayer is so much more than just a cry for help in a time of crisis. According to the Bible, prayer is the way in which we deepen and grow our relationship with God. It is through prayer that God changes us and reorders our loves and our desires. It is through prayer that we learn to worship God as God and find our true hope and our true joy and our true happiness in him. Prayer has the ability to refocus us back on God and what really and truly matters in life. So for Christians, prayer is essential. However, just because prayer is essential doesn't make it easy. Prayer is hard work. If you're anything like me, it's easy for your mind to get bored and to wander. Sometimes I find myself stuck in a rut just praying the same old prayers over and over and over again and wondering what the point of it all is. I know that I'm supposed to pray and and that prayer is good for me, but I just can't seem to really figure it out. Well, thankfully, Jesus is here to help us. And Jesus not only provides an example for us of faithfulness in prayer, He also teaches us how to pray. And best of all, Jesus has committed himself to praying for us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start by simply observing Christ's faithfulness in prayer throughout his time on earth. Next, we'll seek to learn from Christ how to pray. 
Third, we will think through some practical tips and suggestions for our own prayer lives. And lastly, we'll conclude by looking at Christ's ongoing ministry of prayer for us today. So before we begin, let's pray and ask for God's help as we look to his word. Father, we praise you that you are great and glorious and that you hear our prayers and you care for us. So please give us grace now as we study your word to grow in our desire to know you more and commune with you through prayer. Do this for our good and your glory because we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So first, let's take some time to simply just observe Jesus' commitment to prayer throughout his life. So the different passages I'll be reading are going to be up on the screen. So follow along with me as we go. Let's get started. Luke 3, 21 through 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So right here at the beginning, at this significant moment, at the start of Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus praying. And Jesus also took time to pray first thing in the morning, Mark 1:35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Jesus also prayed at night. Before making the significant decision of choosing his 12 disciples, Jesus spent a whole night in prayer with his father. Luke 6, 12 through 13. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he also named apostles. Well, after teaching the crowds and feeding more than 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, Matthew 14, 23 says, after dismissing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. As Jesus' ministry began to grow in popularity, Jesus made sure he prioritized prayer, even if it meant he had to sneak away from the crowds. Luke 5, 15 through 16. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet, he often, often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Luke is saying this was Jesus' standard practice. Prayer was not something Jesus occasionally did. It's something he often did. He would frequently get away by himself to spend time in prayer. Prayer was a significant and important part of Jesus' life. Well, even though Jesus valued his private times of prayer with his father, he also prayed with and for others. Luke 9, 28 tells us that right before his transfiguration, Jesus took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Matthew 19, 13 described Jesus' love for little children and his desire to pray for them. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. 
Jesus was such a man of prayer that his disciples wanted him to teach them how to pray. In Luke 1 or 11, 1, we read this. Jesus was praying at a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And during his last supper with his disciples before his betrayal and death, Jesus spent a lot of time praying with them and for them. John 17 records Jesus' prayer for his disciples as well as his prayer for those who would believe in him through their witness. That's us. Jesus also prays specifically for Simon Peter's faith not to fail. Luke 22, 31 through 32 says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. As Jesus nears the hour of his death, he takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus knows that he and his disciples need to commune with God in prayer in order to strengthen them for what lies ahead. Luke twenty two thirty nine through 44, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Then an angel came from heaven and appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus' prayer life didn't slow down even after he was hung on the cross. In agonizing pain, bearing the full fury of his father's wrath and judgment toward his people's sin, Mark 15, 34 records this heartbreaking prayer of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? However, even in his darkest hour, Jesus didn't stop praying. Luke 23, 46 tells us that Jesus finished his life on this earth, crying out to God, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. From start to finish, Jesus' life was characterized by prayer. He was constantly and consistently praying to his Father. So much so that the writer of Hebrews, in describing Jesus' time on earth, writes this in Hebrews 5, 7. During his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus truly was a man of prayer. And what's convicting about this for me is that if anyone could think that they didn't need prayer, I would think it would be Jesus. He's God's very own son after all. And yet Jesus refused to live a prayerless life. Jesus knew how important and life-giving his relationship with his father was for him, and so he devoted himself to prayer. 
And if this was true of Jesus, how much more so should it be true of us? Like Jesus, we must come to believe at the core of who we are that prayer is essential to life. However, even if we are convinced that prayer is essential to life, the question remains, how do I pray? How do I do this? How do I cultivate the prayer life of Jesus? Well, thankfully, Jesus is willing to teach us how to pray. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 19 through 13. This is popularly called the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 13. And let's learn from Jesus, the man of prayer, how we are to pray. Jesus says this, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, in teaching his disciples to pray like this, Jesus is not requiring them to say these very words each and every time they pray. Rather, what Jesus is doing for us is he's setting forth the general content and basic pattern for our prayer lives. He is teaching us what things we should focus our prayers on. I like what Tim Keller says. He writes, the Lord's Prayer must stamp itself on our prayers, shaping them all the way down. And this is so important because we do not know how to pray as we should. Our default mode is to pray what I would call Aladdin prayers. Aladdin prayers are prayers that treat God as our magic genie who can just give us what we want. And so for many of us, prayer is just a way of trying to get God to give us what we truly want, what we truly desire. So listen to what Tim Keller has to say about this in his excellent book on prayer. This is a lengthy quote, but it's so good. In our natural state, we pray to God to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happinesses reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some social relationship or social status is in jeopardy. I feel like he's in my head. <laughs> when life is going smoothly and our, our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Also, Ordinarily, our prayers are not varied. They consist usually of petitions, occasionally some confession, especially if we have just done something. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time just adoring and praising God, just basking in his glory. In short, we have no positive inner desire to pray. We do it only when circumstances force us. 
like on Monday night football. Why? Why do we do this? We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, God has not become our happiness. We therefore pray to procure things, not to know him better. This is why we need Jesus to teach us how to pray. Because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus refocuses our heart back on God. The prayer begins with an invitation for us to address God as our Father. This reminds us that our relationship with God is one of pure, undeserved grace. Even though we are sinners and justly deserving of his condemnation, because of Jesus, we have been adopted and welcomed into his family. So we do not come to God in prayer on our own merits and worth. We come because of Jesus, God's perfect son who has made us his brothers and sisters. This is what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. It is only because of Jesus that we can draw near to God as our Father and know with confidence that our sins are forgiven and that he loves us with an eternal love. So as we come face to face with a God like this, we cannot help but praise him and desire to see his fame and his glory and his honor spread throughout the whole earth. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this is more than just a prayer for out there in the world, isn't it? It's a prayer for our hearts as well. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are at the same time praying for the demolition of our own kingdoms and the submission of our own wills to God's. We are asking God to conquer and reign over our sinful and selfish agendas for our lives. We are praying to be caught up into something so much bigger and so much more glorious than our many kingdoms of selfishness and pride. We are saying like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And this would be a terrifying prayer to pray if we did not know God as our loving and trustworthy Heavenly Father. It is because Jesus knew who his Father was that he was able to entrust himself to his Father's will, even when it meant tremendous suffering and death. And so we too, like Christ before us, can entrust ourselves to God, knowing, believing that his will for our lives is always what is good and best for us even when we don't understand it. So the Lord's Prayer teaches us to begin our times of prayer focusing on who God is and desiring to see his greatness and his glory acknowledged everywhere 
including and especially so in our own hearts as we humbly and trustingly submit ourselves to him in love and obedience. Tim Keller writes, adoration and thanksgiving, God-centeredness comes first. Why? Because it heals the heart of its self-centeredness, which curves us in on ourself and distorts all our vision. It is only once God and his glory and his kingdom and his will are looming large in our hearts and minds that we are ready to begin to bring our requests to God. Now, instead of offering Aladdin prayers that treat God as our genie, we are ready to pray Christian prayers that trust God to meet all of our needs. It is out of a heart at rest in God and all that he is for us in Christ that we are equipped to bring our requests to him. And so with God's greatness and goodness and glory shaping our understanding of reality, we pray in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. So here we are asking God to provide for our daily needs. We are asking him to give us what we need to faithfully live for him. And in addition to asking God to meet our daily physical needs, Jesus also teaches us to ask God to meet our daily spiritual needs through forgiveness of sin. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here Jesus introduces us to another all-important part of Christian prayer, confession. As Christians, we are to be regularly confessing our sins to God. And when properly done, confession produces in us an increasing joy and confidence in the gospel of grace. Because we are reminded each time we ask God for forgiveness that he has freely and willingly paid our debt through the death of his son. And so as those who have been forgiven much, we must in turn forgive much. This prayer reminds us that there is always a vertical Connection with our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships with each other. To fail to forgive those who sin against us is to fail to grasp the greatness and the grace of God's forgiveness of us. The simple truth is that forgiven people are forgiving people. To fail to forgive those who sin against us is to reveal that we do not have a proper understanding of our own sinfulness or the grace of God for us in Christ. How can we ask God for forgiveness if we are unwilling to forgive those who have sinned against us? And so this prayer calls us deeper and deeper into the glorious gospel of grace. Lastly, Jesus teaches us to pray, verse 13, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here we are crying out to God to bind our wandering hearts to him. It is so easy for the temptations of this world to allure us away from following Christ. We are quick to believe sin's promise of joy and happiness and life outside of God. We need God's grace to protect us from the evil within our own hearts that is constantly trying to get us to center our lives on ourselves and our kingdoms 
instead of God and his kingdom. But it's not just the evil in here that we need protection from. It's also the evil out there in the world. And so we pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. We are asking God to frustrate and thwart our enemy's attempts to harm us. We are pleading with God to protect us from the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who he can devour. In praying this, we are recognizing that we have a ferocious enemy whose sole passion in life is to destroy your faith. Do you realize that Satan hates you and he wants to destroy you? But thankfully, he is no match for our God. And so we can confidently cry out, save us, deliver us from the evil one. This is how Jesus, the man of prayer, taught us to pray. So let's step back and just summarize what we've learned. From Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, we see that there are three basic types of prayer. Tim Keller calls these upward, inward, and outward. So upward prayers are prayers of praise and thanksgiving to God. They are prayers where we recognize his goodness, his greatness, his glory, his mercy, his justice, his compassion, his holiness. Inward prayers are prayers of confession and self-examination. They are prayers that are focused on honestly recognizing and confessing our sin. And as a result of that, experiencing a deeper understanding of God's forgiveness, of his grace, of his mercy, of his love for us in the gospel. Outward prayers are prayers of supplication and intercession. They are prayers of asking, of request. They focus on our needs and the needs of others. So let's take what we've learned from Jesus and think about some practical ways we can apply these truths to our prayer lives today. I think a good daily rhythm of grace is to practice morning and evening prayer. I agree with many throughout church history that have seen the wisdom and the value in starting and ending each day in prayer. When we start each day in prayer, what does it do for us? It refocuses our hearts on God and his kingdom and his will for our life. And it also provides us a great opportunity to cast our cares and our anxieties on him, trusting that he cares for us and his grace will be sufficient for the day. How often do you wake up and the pressures, the concerns of the day flood your heart and mind? Turn those into prayers and hand them to your heavenly father who will care with you and who will meet you with grace for each and every moment. And then at the end of the day, evening prayer, it gives you the opportunity to think back over your day and you can spend time praising and thanking God for his faithfulness to you, how his grace did meet you in those hard times. You can confess the times that you sinned throughout the day and seek his forgiveness. And you can give him any of those lingering worries or concerns that may keep you up at night, entrusting them to your wise and loving Heavenly Father. 
So a daily rhythm of grace, morning and evening prayer. But what should these prayer times look like? Well, I would argue there should be a combination of Bible reading and prayer. Prayer and time in God's word should not compete with each other, but complement each other. You see, prayer is how we enter into conversation with God. God speaks to us in his word, and then we respond in prayer. There's a dialogue that's taking place as we read God's word and pray God's word back to him. So how, how do we do this? How do we do this? It's Monday morning, your alarm goes off, now what? Slap that thing, hit snooze. <laughs> no, alarm goes off, begin with a quick prayer to refocus your heart. Thank God for the privilege of coming to him in prayer. Thank him that he cares for you and that he hears your prayers. Ask him to help you as you read his word and pray. So what you are doing, first thing as your eyes pop open, is you are preparing your heart to approach God and reminding yourselves of the incredible privilege it is to speak with God. Your creator, the one who has redeemed you in Christ, has invited you into relationship with him. Wow. Remind yourself of that as you start praying. So next, read a passage of scripture. And I'd encourage you, if you're just starting out with this or you don't feel very confident at understanding God's word, pick a passage of scripture that is familiar to you, one that's easy for you to understand, or, or maybe pick a favorite passage of yours um, the Psalms are a great place to start when learning how to pray God's word back to him. So go to Psalm 23 or Psalm 1 or Psalm 100, just some of your favorite Psalms that you're familiar with, you, you know already, and start there. Or you could pick a favorite section or chapter from one of Paul's letters or someplace else. The point is get a passage of scripture in front of you that's familiar to you, that, that you love, that you know, that you understand. And then once you pick that passage, Read over it a few times until you discern a truth or two that sticks out to you. Just thoughtfully read it a few times, asking God, show me something from your word. Help something to stand out to me that I need for the day. So let's use Psalm 34, 18 as an example. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So I just want to read that a couple of times. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. As I read this, I'm praying, God, teach me something from your word. And as I meditate and I, I realize a precious truth from this passage is that God is near and he cares deeply for those who are hurting and struggling. So now that I have this truth from God's word, I've just read the passage, I've drawn a truth from it, I've summarized the truth, now I want to think about my upward, inward, and outward prayers. So I want to ask myself, how does this truth help me praise God? How does this truth show me a sin I need to confess? And how does it show me something to ask God for? So first, I want to think about my upward prayer, my prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Well, I can praise God for being a God who is loving and compassionate. 
I can thank him for being a God who cares for his people and who is not indifferent toward their suffering and hardships. And then I can personalize it even a bit more. I can thank him for being near me in my struggles and pain. And then I want to move on to inward prayer, prayers of confession, so I can confess that I don't always believe this about God. Sometimes I think, no, God doesn't really care for me. I can confess that I'm often tempted to look to other things besides God to comfort me in my struggles and hardships. I can get really specific and pray, God, forgive me for the times I've turned to scrolling through social media or binging on Netflix or drinking too much alcohol or looking at porn to comfort my crushed spirit instead of turning to you. And now I'm ready for my outward prayer, my prayer of request. I can pray, God, please give me grace to believe that you truly are near to the brokenhearted and that you really do save those who are crushed in spirit. Help me, Father, not to look to created things for my comfort and peace, but to you. And this, this then can lead to prayers for others as well. We can pray, Father, help my friend who is going through a really hard time. Help them to know that you are near him. Help him to find peace and hope in your love and care for him. Give me wisdom, Father, to know how to come alongside him and share your love and care with him through my words and actions today. And now at this point, feel free to to launch into free prayer as you pray about whatever needs or burdens are on your heart. But notice how God's word, this dialogue that's been taking place, notice how God's word has started to shape those needs and burdens. And as you finish up, it's often good to take a moment to once again thank and praise God for who he is and what he has taught you in his word that day. So this is a practical way of bringing God's word and prayer together. Our goal should be for God's word to shape and inform more and more of our prayers. But again, I want to encourage you to start off with passages and verses that are easy for you to understand and pray through. And then as you grow and you get more comfortable doing this, then feel free to explore all over God's word. There is a richness and a depth and a beauty waiting to stimulate your prayer life in these pages. And one other thing, don't think that this can only be done alone by yourself. This, what we've just been describing, this is a great practice to do with a Christian friend. You will be amazed at how encouraging and refreshing it is to read and pray the Bible together with a Christian brother or sister. Open God's word together, maybe once a week over a coffee, read a passage, think through what's a truth and then pray your way through upward, inward, outward. And I promise you, your hearts will be encouraged, your affections for Christ will be warmed, and your relationship with your brother or sister will grow closer together. 
Well, before we move on, I want to say something else about a common challenge we all face in prayer. How are we to think about unanswered prayers or prayers that are answered in different ways than we want or expect? So often we can grow discouraged in the hard work of prayer when it seems like God isn't answering us. Instead of concluding that God must not care or he isn't hearing our prayers, Tim Keller encourages us to think about it this way. He writes this, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. That's paradigm shifting, isn't it? What we must come to believe is that God is our good, wise, and loving Heavenly Father. He delights in giving good gifts to his children. And so we must remind ourselves that our perspective is very, very limited. Like an infant that screams and kicks when being buckled into their car seat, we too can fail to understand that what our wise and loving and good Heavenly Father is doing in our lives is for our good. And so we are brought back to praying, not my will, but yours be done. I entrust my life to you. We began this morning by looking at Jesus, the man of prayer. We then learned how to pray from the man of prayer himself. And we have just spent some time thinking through some practical tips and encouragements for prayer. So what I want to do now as we conclude, is I want to conclude by looking again at Jesus. Let's fix our eyes back on Jesus, the man of prayer for us today. You see, Jesus' commitment to prayer didn't stop when he ascended back up into heaven. In fact, prayer is one of the main ways Jesus ministers to and for us today. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He is interceding for you. Jesus right now is praying on your behalf before his Father. You are on Jesus' heart right now, and he is praying for you. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25 says it this way. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. They kept dying and had to be replaced. But, but because Jesus remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? How is he able to do this? Since he always lives to intercede for them. Do you see what the writer is saying here? Because Jesus conquered death by rising again, he will always and forever be able to pray for his people. What this means is that you will never, ever face a moment in your life without Jesus praying for you. 
When you feel your faith is struggling, Jesus is praying that your faith will not fail. When you are doubting God's goodness and grace, Jesus is praying for God's love to be poured into your heart through his spirit. When your prayer life isn't what you want it to be, Jesus is praying faithfully for you. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can stop him from offering prayers to his Father on your behalf since he always lives to intercede for you. And so as we sing sometimes, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Dear Christian, Jesus will never stop praying for you until his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. As we transition now to our celebration of the Lord's Supper, I thought it would be fitting for us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. So here's how I want to do this. I will read the Lord's Prayer one line at a time, and then all of us will pray out loud the prayerful meditations provided in white. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be practicing some of the things we've been talking about. We're going to allow God's Word to shape and inform our prayer lives. We're going to spend time meditating line by line through this prayer and letting it inform how we pray, what we pray about. So let's, let's pray together now as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Help us to really know you, to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. Help us to direct all we think, say, and do so that your name will be honored and praised. Your kingdom come. Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Keep your church strong and add to it Destroy the devil's work and every force which revolts against you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will joyfully. Your will alone is good. Help everyone carry out the work we are called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread. Please take care of all our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work and worry can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in ourselves and to put trust in you alone. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. And now all together, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.